I do like narrative works because I like the challenge of really saying something with the movement, really giving something to the audience and really making them feel something. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines' seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichore and Sneakers, Terpsichore is a platform celebrating female dancers, choreographers and bodies in motion, curated by me, dance critic and writer Emily May. Posting information, images and videos of female dance pioneers, both past and present, on a daily basis on our Instagram account, Terpsichore has now started its very own podcast, where I will be interviewing leading women from the dance industry about their lives, careers and the female artists that have inspired them. For the 11th episode of the podcast, I'm delighted to be speaking to English National Ballet first artist and choreographer, Stina Kwajewa. Originally from Belgium, Stina moved to London aged 11 to train at the Royal Ballet School and English National Ballet School, joining English National Ballet upon graduation. During her time with the company, she's performed in works by acclaimed choreographers, some of her favourite experiences being creating the role of Mirtha in Akram Khan's Giselle and dancing in William Forsyth's In the Middle, somewhat elevated at Southless Wells. As well as performing, Stina choreographs her own work for the company, having made her first main stage work, Nora, in 2019 as part of EMB's She Persisted, their second programme dedicated to encouraging and celebrating female choreographers. Next week, Stina will also be showing her work Hollow, a duet exploring depression, as part of ENB's Solstice programme at the Southbank Centre. With this in mind, I couldn't wait to talk to her about her route into choreography, telling female narratives on stage, and what it's like to have the dual role of dancer and choreographer in one of the UK's leading ballet companies. Well, hello, Stina. Thank you so much for joining us on the Terpsichore podcast. How are you doing and where are you speaking to us from today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. I'm currently at English National Ballet Studios at London City Island in London, and we're just rehearsing for our last performances coming up of the season. Amazing. Well, that's super exciting. And thank you for giving me your time during this busy week. To kick off, I wanted to ask you a question starting right from the very beginning of your journey with dance and ask you kind of openly, what are your first memories of ballet and also dance in general? And how did you get into the art form? Gosh, I have to go back a long time. It's a memory that I don't fully remember, but when I was three years old, apparently on Christmas Day, Swan Lake was playing on TV, and apparently I sat and watched the whole thing and I didn't get off the sofa. I was kind of hooked to the TV at such an early age. So my parents really remember it. And from that point on, I started copying what I saw. I started dancing and turning around and, you know, I was still super, super young. And that was the start of it really and then I think I just kept dancing and they took me to some dance classes when I was really little and I kept watching everything I could see on TV you know they would always be productions especially around Christmas there was always full-on ballet Sleeping Beauty Swan Lake whatever and I would always record them on those VHS tapes or my parents did for me and then I'd just watch them over and over and over again so they started taking me to some ballets in Brussels because I grew up in Belgium yeah and it just started I just from a very early age just was fascinated by dance and ballet in particular really I think the effortless look on stage of the ballerinas and this beautiful lines they created and just the kind of whole magic of it, I guess. So yeah, I started dancing early, started classes and they also took me some modern works. They took me to, for example, Matzek and Bejar that were also performing in Brussels. So I kind of had a mixture, but it was kind of ballet that really kind of fascinated me. So 
yeah, that was a kind of early, early start of it. Amazing. And how did it end up progressing from just being taken to classes with your parents? Did it happen quite quickly that you realized it was something you wanted to focus on and become a career? How did that kind of transition happen? I always had a real passion. I don't ever remember having this point where I thought, this is it, I've made a decision, I'm going to go for it. I think right from the top, I was super fascinated. And my teacher passed me on to her ballet teacher, actually, because she thought, you know, I had potential. So she kind of passed me on to her teacher. And she looked at me and kind of was thinking of what school might be suitable for me. It just grew and grew. And then she suggested the Royal Ballet School. So I auditioned. And it was, yeah, at the age of 11 that I auditioned and I got accepted. And the ball just started rolling, basically. And I just kept going with it. And it was just a dream that I just followed right from the beginning from that initial spark and initial love for it really that I went all the way to the Royal Ballet School yeah amazing and what was it like because 11's pretty young I remember being quite daunted moving to London at 18 but what was it like moving from Brussels to London at the age of 11 to train at the Royal Ballet School oh yeah it was so hard I was so homesick I was terribly homesick didn't really speak the language at first but I think for me it was just such an opportunity realizing that almost over a thousand and girls auditioned for the Royal Ballet School and that, you know, only 25 of them get accepted. So for me to have a place was just like, wow, this is such an amazing, special opportunity. I just didn't want to give it up, you know? So I kept going and kept sticking by it and I wanted to just keep, yeah, keep pushing. And and it was hard. I mean, the, I think the first first few years, I mean, I spoke English quite quickly. It's amazing at a young age, you just pick it up, you know, six months later and you've kind of got some basic English. But it was tough, it was a hard school. And so yeah, it was, a, it was five years at the Royal Ballet School and then I joined the English National Ballet School at 16. What were some of your most prominent memories from training? Some of maybe the highlights or even the, the most challenging moments? Are there anything that sticks out for you? I think I have real fond memories, that real English boarding school that kind of, you know, White Lodge, I mean, it was like a movie you know it's it's this old building in Richmond Park it's a little bit like Harry Potter we're in these like houses so we like have Windsor Lancaster Tudor York so I remember being in Windsor and we had sport competitions we had swimming competitions so every at the end of year there's a house that kind of wins I mean it was such an incredible experience that aspect of it coming just from a little village in Belgium and turning up to this kind of prestige English boarding school and we were all chosen because of our talent and it, you know it was something really special. I also remember we had these incredible choir evenings you know uh, Christmas and we sang the most incredible pieces of music actually as a choir. I guess they've been my big highlights from the school. I think it was tough the training was tough I think you really learn discipline from really young age but also I would say I wasn't particularly a favorite so it probably really knocked my confidence I think looking at it later on in my life it was hard but you know I learned an awful lot I mean discipline's huge you know that kind of real drive and to keep going no matter what and to keep pushing on and to keep pursuing and you know a training where you get probably we were dancing for four or five hours a day you know it's it's something that's quite hard to do if you're not at a school where you can do that every day so 
it gave me a big base for then what was to come. I think it's so interesting you mentioned this idea of being a favorite because I think a lot of people who haven't done dance training don't necessarily understand what it's like in a studio to obviously be with some of your best friends but still have this constant comparison between you. I trained in contemporary dance at Laban in London and it's probably not exactly the same as ballet but there was always still this internal like monologue about looking at how everyone else is doing and being pleased for them but also kind of like oh no I haven't got a compliment or many corrections today what's going on and it's yeah it's really hard to explain that to other friends outside of the dance industry if they haven't experienced it yeah absolutely I was quite tall for my age so I think they always kind of pick maybe the smaller girls because they would look better for their age you know if they were choosing them for certain pieces say for the end of year performance you know it makes you resilient definitely and it makes you stronger for when you come out of it all really yeah amazing and then talking about coming out of it all I believe you joined English National Ballet shortly after graduating from the English National Ballet School can you tell me a little bit about the transition from being in training to becoming a professional ballerina with the company what was it like joining that kind of environment yeah when you're at the end of your school years you get quite a lot of opportunities to be featured in the performances or you know you'll be practicing aurora solo or you know a specific principal role for a ballet you get a lot of attention and then of course you join the company and you're at the bottom of the rank you know the bottom of the group and you start with quarter ballet you start with group dancers so it's it is a shift I only got a three-month contract so I knew I had to do well in terms of when you join the group you have to be versatile you have to be able to swap places you know you have to really do your homework sometimes after rehearsals to really remember more than one place in one dance to be able to be quick maybe the day before they say you have to do another place. So you have to be really quick. You have to be on the ball. You can't make mistakes. And also in Corps de Ballet, I joined and we did some make. So in Act 2, I had to stay in line. You know, it was vital. I remember getting a little bit of information from somebody who came to teach us from the company. And she said, you know, it's vital. Like, it's more important you're in line than you do the most beautiful ton levé or the most beautiful step you've ever done. No, it's vital that you stay in line because they're going to see you if you're out of line. And that's wrong so really I think these are the pointers that you really have to focus on when you join and yeah I had a three months kind of testing period so I knew I had to get all of that right to kind of continue and get a permanent place so yeah I think that's the hardest part joining a company is letting go of maybe your big kind of pursuit in wanting to be a soloist maybe and going right how am I going to fit in at the bottom and how am I going to fit in with my colleagues and it's a bit like any other job I guess you know it's probably quite similar obviously you did get your contract extended and kind of worked the way at the company and I was looking on your English National Ballet profile and I saw that you listed some of your performance highlights as being creating the role of Mirtha in At Creme Cannes, Giselle performing in Dust at the Barbican Theatre and at the Pyramid Stage in Glastonbury and also dancing in William Forsyth's In the Middle Somewhat Elevated at Sadler's Wells which I was very lucky to come and see I think it was one of the first William Forsyth pieces I saw live which was amazing so I was wondering maybe you could talk me through some of these and tell me why some of these performances you highlighted are so special to you. When Tamara took over, Tamara Rachel, our artistic director, which is just under 10 years now, I'd already been in the company for 10 years before she joined. And I think it took me a while to find my place in the company. I was very low in confidence, so it took me a while to kind of gain 
confidence and, and really kind of, I think any dancer that joins a company, you have to find where your strength is, you know, not everyone's a good technician, for example, you know, I found my path in more of the acting roles or more the artistic side and everyone has to kind of find their path. So it took me a while to, I think, find that. I think after 10 years you get, you know, you've done that cracker 10 times now, you know, every year you've done plenty of Swan Lakes. And I think was so hungry at that point to want to learn and want to do more and new things. So when Tamara joined, she brought in Akram Khan and Russell Maliphant, two contemporary choreographers for the Triple Bill. And it was the first time for me to really be in a creation with, I mean, world-renowned choreographers at that point, and still are. So I was so excited and I threw myself into the process and realized the contemporary side of choreography was suited to me. I was maybe versatile in the fact that I could really open up and explore that work and do well in that work. So. I was excited to then perform that for the first time. I think when we first collaborated with Akram Khan and performed Dust and created it, I think we were all very excited to share the dance world and you know the audience what we'd been doing. And I think it was such a great piece, but I think it was so nice to see us go into such a contemporary world. We really went into kind of Akram's world of contemporary and Katak style of dancing. So it was very special. And we performed that work at the Glastonbury pyramid stage so it was just incredible what an amazing experience so I'll never forget that Akram created another work for the company in 2016 which was Giselle so his version and his take on Giselle and asked me to dance the role of Mertha which again was an incredible journey I think any dancer to have a work created on you it's something that you will always treasure because it feels like there's a little bit of you in that role. You kind of know everything about it, you know where every bit of movement comes from. And so it's really special. And also being in a court of ballet for most of my career to actually have a featured role in his production was a really big thing for me. And so, yeah, it's an incredible work to perform and also to develop it and to put, we get an opportunity to perform it a lot, or we did before the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it'll always be a very, very special piece in my heart. Well, I hope you get more chances to perform it post-pandemic as things are getting better. I'm interested because you mentioned a lot there about the influence Tomorrow Hoho has had on the company. And there's been a lot of discussions around female choreographers being few and far between in ballet and also contemporary dance. And that men just generally are often encouraged more towards creative and leadership roles rather than women. And I was wondering if this is your experience or if you've faced anything like these challenges or obstacles to becoming a choreographer. We'll talk a bit more about your choreography in a minute. And specifically whether Tamara's had much influence on helping your choreographic career, because I know she's spoken out a lot about the need to encourage female choreographers and especially in like commissioning the She Said programs and she persisted that English National Ballet have done. I mean, she opened it up to so many women to have experiences in education programs as well as well as creating She Persisted which was asking three female choreographers to choreograph for Sadler's Wells for a triple bill so on, on that kind of big scale she did it on every level education program as well as big stage productions so she really gave so many of us a platform and an opportunity I felt before Tamara joined that 
it was harder for me. I think, like I said, I've been in a company for 10 years and I've always had a big passion for choreography. Since the age of eight, seven, I was choreographing my own variations and I was already imagining ballets. I mean, sometimes I wish I had the same imagination, you know, when you're a child. So it's always been in me and I've taken every opportunity at the schools, choreographic workshops, competitions, when I joined the company, we always had like a yearly choreographic workshop. So I always took every opportunity. And I think the big dream was always to one day choreograph for the main stage. And I kind of, after 10 years thought, mm, it's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> and I did feel like a lot of my male colleagues, they might do one work and they would get another opportunity for another small piece or another little collaboration and it was almost like they could see the potential in um, a male colleague of mine and then they'd give them more opportunities and I did feel like I had to prove myself over and over again and I didn't really notice it at the time actually it was kind of afterwards when I reflected back and thought oh yeah actually I was yet so keen and I was never really encouraged at that time. But now I kind of see it all as, you know, when you, re you look back and you do think, well, it's all happened at the right time, you know. I feel like I was still developing my work and in a way it's good to have the time before you get that big, big, big opportunity, you know. Yeah, and if I'm right, your first main stage work for English National Ballet was Nora, which was inspired by the main character of Henrik Ibsen's play A Doll's House. And it was also at first she persisted at Sadler's Wells in 2019. I was wondering what attracted you to this play and this character in particular to inspire your first main stage creation for the company? Yeah, I was fascinated by the play A Doll's House. I didn't quite understand Nora's character fully. When I first watched, it was an old production on YouTube actually. And when I don't quite fully grasp something, I want to understand and I want to research it. And I started watching more productions, reading the play. And then I just thought there was something special about, well, I felt like there was something almost missing in the play where she goes through a huge journey, but you don't necessarily see the whole journey in her mind. So I wanted to kind of show that through dance and to have five, dancers representing her mind so almost like the constant voices we have in our minds to kind of bring that element out that we don't get to see in the play necessarily and so that's kind of how it came about well I gave myself a huge challenge because it was incredibly hard to try and put a three-act play into 25 minutes but it was a snippet I guess it was trying to get the audience to just feel and understand the journey she went through so yeah it was it was a tough one to do yeah, can imagine. But what was your kind of choreographic process? Did you work a lot with the dancers collaboratively or were you working very closely with the text of the play or how did you kind of generate your movement language? And do you think that this first one has really informed your kind of choreographic process in general moving forward? I do like narrative works because I like the challenge of really saying something with the movement, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a theme, but really giving something to the audience and really making them feel something. Every movement has to say something. Every movement has to be leading the story on in a way. I guess with Nora, I started with some R&D. Once you've done all the research, I think I spent about two years researching A Doll's House. It was crazy, reading every book, every production. And then once all of that information's in you, then you can forget about it a little bit and you can start exploring a language for each character in movement. And you will kind of have a gut instinct on what works and what doesn't work just by all the research. You've almost absorbed it. Exactly. 
So that's kind of how it started. We had a lot of time to explore themes and work with the voices, which were the five people in her mind. Yeah, that's what they were called. They were called voices. So yeah, it's kind of very much a research development phase before we then kind of start piecing the piece together. In terms of it being maybe my style or the way I would choreograph after that, I recently did Take Five Blues, which was more abstract. So I guess it was very different. Yeah, I think it's a, a kind of different way of exploring. You're really playing with the music. You know, music is your big inspiration when it's abstract for me anyway. So it's a slightly different process, but I think I will probably always edge toward the narrative theme. I think we all kind of want to go to the theater and get lost and forget about our life for like just a very short moment and be lost in a story. You're talking about narrative work, your piece, which was before you choreographed was Vera, I believe, which also focused on a female character. Do you think that you are particularly attracted to female narratives in particular? And do you think this might be something to do with, again, there's like a lot of discussions about how women are portrayed in ballet, like historically it's following fairy tales where the women are princesses and rescued by prince. And do you think ballet is changing or, or needs to change to kind of represent women in a different light? It's interesting. I kind of didn't really think when somebody else mentioned it to me, they said, oh, you've done Vera, which was based on Testament of Youth. Vera Britton, I've done kind of Nora's character. Do you kind of go towards the female roles? And I think subconsciously, I don't realise it, but I think I do. I, I want to maybe tell the stories of certain women and, and explain what they've gone through, um, what their journey was, what their experience was. Maybe I feel like I understand it more, I'm not sure. I don't know, we'll see maybe if I get to create some more works, what I, you know, if I still stay within that or whether I kind of explore away from that and look into like male characters, I'm not sure. It's not on purpose, so maybe just subconsciously. Amazing. And then you mentioned Take Five Blues there, which is particularly interesting as well, because while you've choreographed for stage, and th this has now been performed live at Sadler's Wells, but this was also because of the pandemic, you created a dance film version in collaboration with a director. What was it like creating this piece or adapting this piece for film? And what do you enjoy about creating for film? Or how does the process differ for creating for stage? I found it quite tricky, I think think when you realize oh for film you kind of think all oh, the options are endless you know it doesn't mean the piece needs to flow you could cut things and go different locations so it kind of becomes like oh it's endless but we were also told that it had to be ready to be performed for stage so that was quite a big change so I thought mm, okay the choreography needs to flow it needs to be all the way through you know we'll be performing at Sadler's so that kind of changed it and then it was based on Nigel Kennedy's album recital and it's it's very much jazz bands and he's he plays spark classical music vivace and he it just jazzifies it you know it's he pulls pushes with the rhythms the timbres it's playing with that classical music and in a way I did that with classical ballet we pushed and pulled classical ballet into more contemporary side of things and playing having that improvisational feel so the feel of the piece was very just like that jazz vibe they're looking at each other they're playing off each other that kind of theme so we almost said to each other let's not do this for an audience let's do this for us as a group just like how a jazz band is is in their own world really and then when our director came on site sean james grant he saw the work in the studio 
and saw how they were all encouraging each other of actually speaking because in ballet you know we shouldn't talk it should always be in silence but they were really shouting at each other encouraging each other during the piece so he loved that and he said i'd love to have that in the film like we're in a room and the camera's in every direction there is no front we created our own little world really of playing just playing and having fun to the music and responding to it so it was an interesting process and the filming day as well it's something we're so not used to but it was definitely good and I'd definitely love to do it again I find it so interesting because although the work is abstract I watched the film of it and and the set is very simple as well but I felt like with these beautiful lights that you've got hanging down as well and you say you're creating this vision of a world and it's kind of a bit dusk lighting I could almost like smell the smoke of a of a jazz club or something and you really gave this impression which was really beautiful and also at the end to come back to kind of this female topic I really liked how there was this kind of showdown where the women kind of win at the end I thought that was really a really nice ending yeah it was very subtly (laughs) the men falling on the floor out of exhaustion yeah and the women are still standing (laughs) i would have loved to seen it in real life too but sadly stuck in berlin at the minute so can't go back to the uk but theaters are reopening in the uk and i think it's finished performing reunion now at sadler's wells but english national ballet's next program will be at the south bank center which will include lots of different extracts from swan lake and sleeping beauty uh, ballet on Frida Kahlo, Akram Khan's Dust, as well as your duet Hollow, which I saw as part of the Sadler's Wells Digital Festival Dancing Nation. I reviewed it for the stage. I only had very few words, but I described it as depicting a couple wrestling with depression, their eyes hardly meeting as they tumble fluidly in and out of each other's arms. It expertly encapsulates difficulties many have experienced whilst quarantining together. Could you maybe tell me a little bit about the initial inspiration for exploring this? this difficult topic in this piece yeah it is a difficult topic and it's good to see that you know recently in the last few years mental health and depression and we're all talking about it a lot more it's something I experienced with my partner so my partner was really severely depressed and I was trying everywhere to try and get help and information and there's a lot for if you are depressed and there's a lot of forums out there and websites that can help you and there's various routes and therapies and groups but I found it difficult being the person living with a depressed person because in a way you feel so alone it's very hard to explain to your friends and family near you what that feeling is when somebody is so lost and they're so low and hence why it's called hollow they're they're so far away and it's like you've lost your best friend they're just not there and that feeling was so strong and I found it so hard and it was so hard there's not many places where you can go and ask for the person living with them it's quite difficult and so it was such a strong feeling that I remember listening to this piece of music and that was the story I had when I heard this music I felt like I wanted to share this piece or wanted to create something to capture that feeling I had that feeling that I couldn't express in words what it was like to lose somebody that's right there next to you that's what I tried to do in the piece really and I just hope that if people are watching and if they have experienced something that they have a moment of I relate to that or I can feel that or I've been there I'm not the only person that feels that 
that was kind of what I tried to do. So, and I believe it's going to be performed, is it the first time being performed live next week? Yes, we performed it for the Emerging Dancer Competition, which is something that the company does annually. But it was done digitally, so I think there was only about 20 people that watched it and it was live streamed. So this will be the first performances for a much bigger audience next week. So it'll be exciting because the piece always grows, you know, when you perform it, a piece just grows and the dancers find more things in it. So it'll be already it's developed on in rehearsals now. So it'll be really nice to see where they can take it in the shows. Actually kind of touches on my next question, which was, has it developed or evolved at all since people saw it as part of Dancing Nation? Or do you think it's going to have a different potency when performed at the South Bank Centre because it's live in this room as opposed to through a computer screen? Yeah, I think so. It is always hard seeing dance for film. I think it's great we're doing it because it means the whole world can see it. You know, it means that we can see what's happening in America, we can see what's happening in Australia, and we can really have that connection. But there's nothing like seeing it live. You know, there's nothing like being in that moment and that feeling when you watch something and everything is just silent and you can hear a pin drop that we never have at home you know we don't have these cinematic rooms where you know we've got a huge screen and it's dark and you know it's not the same we're always distracted so I think it'd be really interesting to see how it works live and to see how they grow in it. It's already developed a lot. It's already got more maturity. They're dancing it also with a certain confidence once they've already performed it once for the competition. So they're finding more nuances in it and they're making it more and more readable for the audience, developing the story. So it's not just choreography, it becomes a story. It's acting, you know, it's everything looks natural, especially when you're working with narrative. The idea is that you watch something and you don't see choreography. You just feel something and they take you on this journey. So that's what we're aiming for. Amazing. And also mentioning Solstice, a program at the South Bank Centre. Will you be dancing as part of it as well as showing your choreography? I won't be performing this time, no. I've just kind of recovering from a bit of a back injury. We've been working very hard on Akram Khan's new production called Creature, which we will be premiere in September. We've kept having a pushback because of the pandemic so we will finally be ready to perform that in September so I had a little bit of an injury in my back from that so I'm just kind of rehabbing right now and then I should be back for the September performances. So still kind of juggling both at the same time, dancing and choreographing. That was actually what I was going to ask. Is it challenging to juggle these dual roles in the company as a choreographer and performer? Or do you think they complement each other well? I think there's positives and negatives. I think I focus on the positives. Positives being that I know my colleagues really well. And I know them well now being in a group with them. So if I'm working on Creature Akram Khan's new production... I'm in with them and I'm a dancer and I know what they're going through. I know what they struggle with. I also really know what all their potential is. So I've seen them off stage. I've seen them when they're relaxed. Now I can really see what they can do. So then when I have an opportunity to choreograph, it's drawing out the best out of all of them. So I see that definitely as a positive. I think it is hard sometimes with my body physically and bees are really demanding company. We do a lot of performances normally. Hopefully we'll go back to that, obviously before pandemic. And yeah, physically, I 
I have struggled. I think when I'm choreographing and you're consumed in a new work you're creating, it's 24 seven in your mind. You know, you're constantly analyzing what you did in the rehearsal, rethinking that, planning for the next rehearsal. Even though I, you know, could keep fit to a certain level, I always struggle doing that because I don't want to be doing a class for myself or some training for myself because I'm like, I don't need this right now. You know, I really want to put everything I do into my piece. So it is tricky. Um, so I always hope to have these moments where I'll create, I kind of keep a good base level of fitness and then I will get ready for the kind of next production coming in that I'm dancing with. So I'm kind of feel like I'm finding my way a little bit with that. And so, yeah, I think I try and focus on the positives, definitely, because there's definitely a lot there. I think knowing your colleagues well is, is a really big one, I think. Looking forward as well, hopefully, towards a brighter future in which we'll be back at the theatre much more often. I was wondering, do you have any specific ambitions or dreams, choreographically or performance-wise, pieces you'd like to make, roles you'd like to dance or people you'd like to work with? Well, I would definitely want to perform Creature soon because I have a role in that new production and yeah, we've been creating it for like two years now. So I'm like really edging to do that and that will be September. So really looking forward to that and getting back on stage because it will be a year over a year and a half for me so it's a long time and then we'll see what happens I've done quite a few pieces with the company now and we'll see what happens but I'd love to create more work obviously and now there's also that option to do things digitally which is also something that I'd love to go into as well so yeah we'll see what happens but definitely definitely would love to create more amazing well thank you so much for your time today Stina I have one very final question for you which is because this is the Terpsichore podcast we ask everyone if they could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner dancer or choreographer or anything really from history who would it be and why and maybe what would you like to ask them could I cheat and can it be from today yes of course I'd love to meet Crystal Pites and I'd love to maybe watch some of her rehearsals and ask her how she goes about and develops her work and how she from an idea how she then kind of creates and starts the process off really I'd love to see her work really I really admire her work it's fantastic yeah it's it's every time I'm just captured by the movement language she creates and the storytelling as well that she does with it you know it's kind of both at the same time so I really really admire her work yeah amazing that was a really great choice thank you so much again for your time today have a great rest of your day and good luck for next week with the performance thank you it was a pleasure to be with you i hope you enjoyed the 11th episode of the terpsichore podcast with the wonderful stina quajima if you'd like to find out more about stina's work take a look at her website www.stinachoreographer.com or her profile on english national ballet's website you can also follow her on Instagram at Stina Choreographer. If you're in London, be sure to get tickets for English National Ballet Solstice Programme, which will be performed at the Southbank Centre from the 16th to the 26th of June, and which will feature Stina's Hollow, a duet exploring the effects of depression on relationships. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow Terpsichore Mag on Instagram, or sign up to our newsletter via our website, www.terpsichore-mag.com. Thanks so much again for listening to the Terpsichore Podcast with me, Emily May.